This is Kendra Connor, worship leader at Christ Center Church, and you are listening to Christ Centered Cast. Hello, good evening. If you still remember, last week we talked about submitting in the relationships. We submit with partners, with our families, and with the leadership that God has given to us, and how important that is. That was from Ephesians chapter 5 and chapter 6. Next, next week, two weeks later, Pastor Sam is going to talk about this infamous um, passage about spiritual armor that I'm sure you all have heard about or even learned it uh, when you were a kid in Sunday school. As Paul wraps up his letter, he told us to put on the whole armor of God, including the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, and etc. People say that he was inspired by the guards who's guarding him. He, was, he wrote this letter when he was in prison. So maybe one of the Roman soldiers was wearing, wearing some sort of set armors that inspired his writing of this spiritual armor. But today we're going to talk about before, we're gonna put on, before we put that armor on, what are we going to do? What are we, how should we prepare ourselves before we put the armor on? I call this in the dressing room. If you know or watch football, you must have paid attention that they wear a little slightly different clothes than what we usually wear, you know, when they go out to the field, when they play sports. Of course, they have a locker room and other stuff is there. It's ready for them. But before they put on all those things, what do they do? We're going to talk about it today. And before we put on the spiritual armor of God, what do we need to think about before we step into the field? I was watching the movie Shang-Chi earlier, or we pronounce more accurately, Shang-Chi, there we go. Um, I hope this is not a spoiler alert, but you should know, at the end, people face the villain, and you're supposed to put on some special armor that helps you to fight against this um, powerful villain. Of course, Shang-Chi put on a very special costume, or very special armor, to be able to help him to defend against those villains, and be able to defeat it. And uh, if you didn't know, me and Nicole, my wife, we had COVID, the beginning of this month, and it was a blessing that we have a Nintendo Switch, and we play a lot on it to pass our times. One of the games that we play that we like a lot is The Legend of Zelda. You've ever heard of Legend of Zelda? It's basically a, a first-person story game where you have to go and fight and do all these quests, fight, fight all these monsters. And in the game, they give you all different types of armor for different situations. It gives you an uh, electric-proof armor to fight against the electric enemy. They give you some snow boots so you can walk faster in the snows. Uh, they give you some sneaky clothing if you happen to be able, you need to sneak around some enemies. And usually the NPC in the game will tell you, hey, here's a piece of armor, and now I'm gonna send you on this quest. This quest usually involves fighting monsters or um, doing some dangerous work. While it's okay, maybe doable without the armor, but it's always better to have the armor on. Otherwise, you might perish. Um, so I did that mistake a couple of times, and I learned after the, the game says game over, I have to restart it. I learned, I learned the hard way. But we're going to talk about today, before we put on those armors, what do we need to think about? What, what is God telling us to get us prepared before we put on the armors? Now that we know putting on armors, it's not just something you will wear daily for you know, fighting mosquitoes or wrestling with a goat or 
you know, just do random stuff, you are wearing armors because you are facing a dangerous situation. You're going into somewhere danger or you're doing something that you need the help of the armor. It's not peaceful. And we are called to risks and dangers as we are called to follow Jesus. There's a famous saying says, you can't be any safer when you are in God's plan. Or it says, you can paraphrase like this, you, can, you are safe as long as you are in God's plan. If you understand this safe as in our salvation that would not be taken away from Satan and the worldly persecution, then that's right. But if you're taking this safe being you will have safe housing, you have a safe job, you'll be, you, you're in a safe environment or you'll be safe in your finances when you are in God's plan, that is wrong. That is prosperity gospel. And prosperity gospel is a belief that some Christians think that God reward those who live faithful lives to him will have material wealth. That's not what Jesus told us. We are called to risks and sufferings when we're called to follow Jesus. Jesus never promised us a safe, peaceful life in this world following him. In fact, during Jesus' time on earth, he sent out disciples, his disciples two by two, to go out to preach the gospel. And here is what Jesus said in one of, the, one of the things that he told the disciples what they will be expecting. In Matthew chapter 10, it says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now Jesus is telling his disciples as he sends them out to preach gospel, to share this good news to others, that they will be expecting rejection. They will be expecting fights and divisions and suffering. It's not going to be peaceful. It's not going to be laid back and easy. It's going to be something that you need to put armor on to be able to conquer it. Now, we know that risks are suffering are part of the Christian life, following Jesus. There are two situations that we'll be in. If not this, then the other. Those two situations are risk and suffering. There's difference between those two. Easy way to understand it is risk is before you step into the danger, you're making this decision, you're on this decision-making process, whether you're going or you're leaving when you're facing a danger. And suffering, on the other hand, is when you're in it already, you're thinking, how do you persevere through it? Um, this is not theologically relatable, but just a situation in real life that might help you understand this, uh, the difference between risk and suffering. My wife is really into fall things these days. And one of the good things that she bakes is the pumpkin chocolate chip muffin. And it's really good. Now, imagine yourself, this yummy, yummy chocolate chip, pumpkin chocolate chip muffins just got out, got out of the oven and it's sitting on the counter. And you decided, of course, later, you're gonna try some, right? It's really delicious. But a few minutes later, just a few minutes later, you say, hmm, I can't really wait, so I'm gonna try one. Now you're in this risk mode. You're evaluating, you're deciding, is it still hot? Um, the room is pretty cold, so it, it, might, it might cool, cool down pretty fast. Um, when you take a look at it, it doesn't look very hot. You're in this evaluating mode, deciding whether you're going to do it or you're going to do something else. You're making this decision. That's a risk that you, when you're in risk. Now, suffering is you took one in your hand and it burned you. You have to persevere the pain 
after your decision. So you took one mushroom in your hand and it burned you, then that's suffering. So this is two different situations that um, a Christian will face each day. Either you're in risk calculating, is, does God want me to step in to this dangerous situation? God, does God want me to leave? And the other one is you are in the situation that God wants you to be in, and it's danger, and now you have to persevere through it. Today, we'll be focusing on before we step in to the suffering, before we're still in this risk mode, where we're in the locker room, we're putting on, we're thinking about putting on armor, we're thinking about what situation we're going to face. That's what we're going to focus on for today. Back to Paul, we've been going through the book of Ephesians uh, this past month. And as Paul writes the book of Ephesians, it's a letter to the church, I'm pretty sure he has some flashbacks. He probably was thinking about the church that was ministering in for a few years. He probably also think about the first time when he was first in Ephesus. And that was a big hit. I'm going to remind you about it if you don't know the story. So Paul, you know, walking around preaching gospel. And then he got to Ephesus. He got to Ephesus. So while he was in Ephesus, he was preaching. He was, you know, baptizing people. And there's people who's believing in him. He's uh, boldly preaching in the synagogue. And he's debating about the kingdom of God. And uh, people will come to him and listen more. But not long after, there's people who started a riot. They, they don't want Paul's gospel to affect their business because they're making idols. And if Paul talks about Jesus, then everybody believes in, believe in Jesus. Nobody needs idols anymore. So that's what, they, that the, what the riot started. But people took it to a really big riot where they started to want to attack Paul. And Paul is in a very... Interesting situation there. Paul has a lot of risks. Paul went in and he did some miracles. He healed people when he first went to Ephesus. And that's one of the few times in the Bible that we see Paul in his journey he using this gift of healing. And that's very spiritual related. That means there's a lot of spiritual environment in Ephesus. People are worshiping false god and they're very into it. There's this big spiritual warfare happening in Ephesus. But also, there's this physical warfare that people want to attack Paul, want to kill him because he's doing something that they don't like. So Paul went in to Ephesus, and he's facing dangers almost every day. He probably needs to ask himself this question, whether he should go or stay, the place that he's at every day. Let's look at what Paul says. Let's look at what he did when he's in a situation like that. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul says, if we, live, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. In the original, in the Greek word, keep in step, keep in step, literally means walk. So if we live by the Spirit, which we have been made a new life through Christ, through the Spirit, we need to walk with the Spirit. So one of the ways that Paul discerns whether he should go or what decision he should make the day, if he should leave Ephesus, if it's too, the people are being, uh, the riot is happening, or he, if he should stay and suffer there. The main, one of the main things he knows is he needs to walk with the Spirit in order to know what God wants for him. Keep in step, walk with the Spirit. Ephesus, when I was in 
I went to Greece to study abroad for a semester, but sadly, I didn't get to go to Ephesus because um, as a Chinese citizen, I need a special visa to go into it, uh, to go into the country that I didn't know about. So I just stand at the harbor of this island named Samos. Uh, we're taking a, the rest of the people are taking a ferry to Ephesus. So I was standing on the harbor waving goodbyes. They're all going away. And then, uh, well, good thing that the, the organizer uh, reserved me a hotel on Samos, the island. Then I have to go stay there for a couple nights and meet the people from Ephesus when they came, when they came back. Now, I got a SIM card on my phone that's supposed to have data on it, but it didn't work. So I have my phone, but there's no internet. There's no data. I don't know where I'm going. They told me they gave me an address of it. So I don't have data, but luckily I downloaded the map, so I know where is it on the map. And my GPS is working. If you don't know what GPS is, it's something your phone works with the satellite that tells you where you are exactly. So my GPS is working, but, and my map is working, but that's it. So they gave me an address, I put in the address, and I have my GPS on uh, as I walk, you know, going through the mountains of the island in Greek, in Greek, uh, in Greece, sorry. And there's a lot of um, misguiding turns and all the roads that I don't know, but luckily I have my GPS on, so I know where I am exactly right now and which diversion I should go when I'm facing the road change. So the Holy Spirit is kind of like the GPS. You need to keep following it. It tells you where you are and tells you where you need to go next. If you just like, oh, here's my GPS, I don't need it, and you just walk, you will get lost. Luckily, I didn't. I found a hotel, just, just in case if you wonder. Um, the Holy Spirit is like the GPS. You need to follow it daily or even every minute, and you need to follow it very closely to know where it's leading you. We can see this in Paul in Paul's journey, right after he went to Ephesus, he says in, uh, the Bible says in Acts 19, it says, now after these events, after the Ephesus events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Archaea and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. So Paul is urged by spirit because Paul walks with the spirit and pay attention to what the spirit says, he walks with the Spirit to know where, he, where he's going next. And it says again in Acts chapter 20, it says, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, this is Paul speaking, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment, imprisonment and afflictions awaits me. So Paul knows really well that the danger he's in is part of God's plan. But how does he know that? because he knows from the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, before he went back to the heavens, he left us a great commission. If you guys remember, the great commission is the gospel must be proclaimed to all nations. And Jesus asked us to preach and to baptize people in the name of the Father and the, Holy, and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, how are we going to do that? Jesus threw that out to us. He didn't really say anything to us. But actually, he told us what, what needs to be done. What should we do 
following this great commission? How should we do this? In John chapter 16, Jesus says, I have, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. So Jesus told us that he's going to guide us. Through what? Through the Holy Spirit. He's going to be with us. The Holy Spirit, okay, if you don't remember this, God is a three-person God. That means the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they're all God. So we're following the Holy Spirit is we're following God. And Jesus, God, uh, guide us through the Holy Spirit after he ascended to heaven. He gave us the Holy Spirit to guide us in our daily life to follow his great commission. Now, now that we know that we're called to follow the Holy Spirit, that's how we live our life as a Christian on earth, we need to know how to discern the guidance of the Holy Spirit. But before that, you might say, there's not really dangers or like living like a Christian here in the States, not like other countries or when Paul was preaching. There's no physical dangers. It's not that um, intense. But actually, there is on a different level. Think about it. Your life is full of people who are trying to tell you how you should live. Not just unbelievers, but also Christians who might tell you how to live as a Christian. That might not be what God told you. And the worldly values and the beauty standards, that's what the things has been putting into your mind to uh, confuse you or to lead you astray from what God has planned for you. On the other hand, there are also people who don't want you to tell them how to live. And that makes it harder to, te- to preach them the way of living as a Christian on earth with God. The politics and the government is letting through more and more ungodly laws, and that's not helpful. And there's diversions among the believers, especially during the COVID days. Now we can always hear people arguing about, you know, regarding COVID, what is right and what is wrong. And that creates even diversions in the church. There's another one, false testimonies. I have an example of this. In China, I was, when I was in China, when I was young, I was learning violin with a Korean missionary. They were there to just do mission work, and they're pretty low-key. They just teach music lessons, and they have some Bible studies in their home. But one day, they told me they can't stay in China anymore. They got kicked out. Their visas got rejected, uh, got rejected for renewal. And I was very surprised because they weren't really making big noises. They're not really, people don't actually really know them as missionaries. They know them as music teachers. Um, Only the Christian people know that they help Bible study in their home. But why do they get kicked out? They told me, it's not because of what they did. It's other missionaries who came in and did something stupid. And that makes them being affected as well to the visa to reject rejection. We have false testimonies like this today, who that Christian who claim to be Christian, but they don't really live like one, and that builds borders and dividers for the gospel to be, to be able to reach out to them by us. So those are the things, and there's way more, that we are facing right now in our days, in the States. Now that we know we are called to danger, 
there is risks and dangers in our life as a Christian, living, following God. And we know who to follow. We know we're following, following the Holy Spirit. We're following God's voices. Now we, we need to know how should we discern the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Back to the question, stay or go. When you are in a danger or you, when you're in risk, how do you decide? What, what choices do you make? How, how should you make it? What does God tell you? How do you know what God tells you? The first thing is through the Bible. <clears throat> There's five things. The first thing is through the Bible. We need to be familiar with God's word. Again, Jesus told us to go and preach the gospel to all nations. And he told us that the Holy Spirit is going to guide us. In, first, in 2 Timothy, Paul stated that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training and in, in righteousness. So Bible, the Holy Bible, is what God has for us through the Holy Spirit. That's one of the ways that he's, that he's communicating to, to us. Even Paul says himself in Ephesians 6, chapter, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, it says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I'll read that again. Paul says, when you're going out with all the armors that you have, one of them is the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Paul said it very clearly. To be able to follow the Holy Spirit, one of the ways is to listen to the word of God. The second one, leadership. How to discern the guidance from God, from the Holy Spirit, is through leadership. As Pastor Sam mentions that God placed leaders in our life, uh, used by God, he placed them there for a purpose. We can also see that in Paul's journey. Back to when he was in Ephesus, uh, remember that riot that people were starting? In, chapter, in Acts chapter 19, it says, but when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the crowd who was having a riot, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. So the Asiarchs are the high-ranking officers of the province of Asia at the time. They are basically the government who oversees the people. And they told Paul, hey, Paul, I don't think it's a good idea for you to go inside right now. They know they are the leaders for the people and they are locals. And Paul chose to listen to them. So Paul left, and that he, think, he, he, he sees the guidance from God through his leadership back in Ephesus. There's this uh, mission organization that I talked to during the mission conference at Moody uh, two weeks earlier. I talked to them and they shared me, they shared me this uh, exciting testimony. There's one of their coworkers who works in Middle East. He's getting safety evaluation every day from the local leaders. And he happens to get out by the advice of them one week before the Taliban invaded the city. So he was doing mission work. He very well can choose between staying there or leaving. And at the moment, he sees God through his leadership, who told him, I think it's a good decision for you to leave right now. And he followed, he obeyed, and he left. So that's one of the things that God will guide you, is through leadership. Number three, dreams and visions. Back to Paul. He had a very big moment where he, in his dreams, 
God gave him a vision, he sees the Macedonians call. There's a, there's a guy from Macedonia, basically in his dream saying, hey, Paul, we need to hear the gospel here. This uh, Macedonia area is Gentiles area. And back then, Paul was preaching around Jerusalem, uh, a little bit outside, but they never thought about really big opening to preaching to the Gentiles. But after this dreams and visions, in Acts chapter 16, it says, and when Paul has seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on uh, into Macedonia, concluding that God has called us to preach the gospel to them. So God speak to Paul, speaks to Paul in dreams and visions, and Paul distinguished, he discerned that this is the uh, guidance from God. Not only does God work through dreams and visions back then, he also works now. Another mission organization called Zema, Zion Evangelical Ministry of Africa, they, I was talking to them, they, they're having booths around you know, uh, ASCs, around Moody, and they have missionary representatives. Who, so someone who's working in the organization is coming to talk to the students if anybody will like to work with their organization in the future. I talked to one of them, and they are based in Africa. They shared to me this very um, heartwarming, no, heartwarming stories, how God uses dreams and visions in their lives. So they were in Middle East a few years ago. This is a missionary couple with a four-year-old daughter. They were settling down in, in the Middle East for a couple years, and they had a ministry going on there. You know, the, the little kid made some friends at school, and they have a place to settle down. But one day, they, they started to realize that God is calling them to move to North Africa to start a new, new ministry there. And they're very, they have discerned the Holy Spirit. They know that God wants them to go there. But now the problem is, how are they going to talk? How, how, are, how are they going to tell this young girl their goal? Their daughter, who's only four years old, who just had friends, you know, we have to tell them, oh, now we have to move, we have to go to a brand new place that you might not even know the language of. So they're, they're having this hard time figuring out how to tell their daughter. One day, the daughter seems very sad when she's at home with her mom. Uh, her dad was out doing something. So she was with her mom, and she seems very sad for a long time. Her mom's curious, so ask her, Hey, honey, why are you sad? The little girl says, well, last night when I was in my sleep, Jesus spoke to me. And the mom was like, really? What, what did he say? And the little girl is saying, well, Jesus told me to go to Africa. And the mom was like, oh, that sounds great. But they don't want to break the news out to the daughter that they are all moving because the dad wasn't home. She wanted to wait till the dad is coming home. So she just stalled, stalled the daughter and ask her more questions. Oh, that's great. Um, so, so what are you going to do about it? The little kid's like, yeah, Jesus told me to go and he, he told me to go right now. That's why I'm sad because I don't want to leave you guys. Leave you guys. The mom's like, oh, but she can't really tell her yet. But later, after the dad came back, they all broke this news out to her, telling her, hey, honey, you know what? Jesus told us to. Jesus told us to move to Africa too. So we're going together. And the little girl is happy. So we see one of the ways that in real life that Jesus, uh, God works through dreams and visions to accomplish his guidance to a family. He, of course, he still does, does that now. Number four, fruit of the Spirit. You must heard this a lot. 
It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Very fast. Um, in Greek, the fruit of the Spirit is a singular word. It's not joy is one fruit, peace is one fruit. Of course, it's okay to take it apart and to understand each segment, what is love, what is joy, but all nine things work together as the fruit of the Spirit, as the product of the Spirit works in you. So one of the ways to discern uh, whether you are walking with God or not is to see if there's the fruit of the Spirit living out in your ministry or in you, through you, then you can know if the Spirit is working through you. Lastly, pray. Paul says, as he concludes the letter in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints. Paul knows one of the ways that he connects with God, one of the ways that he is being able to know, to discern what God has for him, is through praying to God regularly and often. We can see that in Jesus' life, how he interacts with the Father. We can see that in Paul's life, in other apostles' life, they pray without ceasing. They always pray. They always pray so that they can get closer to God. They can be able to hear God's voice more clearly. They can know, be more related to God when they pray to know what God, have, what God has for them. So five things. And now how should we apply these five things in our lives to discern God's guidance for us? Back to knowing the word of God. That's the first one. We need to read it, study it. Listen to God's servant, like Pastor Stan, other pastors. Even your brothers and sisters who ask them about how they have seen God through the Bible and be encouraged by it, knowing the Bible. Second, to see God's hand in your life. That's how you can apply these in your, in your um, daily life. To seek God's hand in your daily life. It comes with some practice if you haven't done this before. By start giving some credits to God, by start giving credits to God and start to praise Him even for small things. In that way, you'll be, you'll be able to see more and more how God's hand works in your life, in your daily life, even in small things. You'll be able to thank Him and give credit to Him. And you'll be able to be more sensitive to what God, what God has for you. Dreams and visions. God works through dreams and visions. If you haven't experienced one, pray for one, ask for one. Pray. Pray often. Not just ask him for things all the time, but also take time to listen, to see what God asks you to do, to see what God has for you. Listen to his voice. And through leadership. God put leaders in our life. God put our bosses, the government, our leaders uh, from church, from work. God placed them, or God placed us under them because God has plans to work through them. But need to be wise when it comes to ungodly decisions when the leaders make. God will not tell you to do something that's against the Bible, that's against his will. God, does, God is not a contradictive God. God is not a contradictive God. He won't tell you to sin, of course. So one of the ways to know if your leaders is making godly decisions that you should follow is to know to compare with all the things that we just talked about, discerning the Holy Spirit, to, to compare with them. Is this 
something else that was confirmed in other areas of your life? Is it following God's will? Is it what Jesus told me what I can do? So all these things works together, not just one. It's not like a formula that you can say, leaders check, church check, that must be it. It's not a checklist. It's everything working together, and you'll be able to see some hint from this or that, and you'll be able to know what God tells you to do. So once you have discerned the, cho- the, the voice that God had for you, the guidance that God gave you, this is when you leave the locker room and go out to the field to do what God has planned for you. And what happens on the field is another sermon, which Dr. Uh, Pastor Sam will talk about in two weeks. So back again, discerning. Oh, so back again, we're called to risks and dangers. God do not guarantee a peaceful life on our on earth as we follow Him and preach the gospel. And during these risky situations, we need to listen to the Holy Spirit to be able to know where do we go. And to listen to the Holy Spirit, we must pay attention to how God works in our life. Let's pray. Dear God, please open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds so that we are getting closer to you and be able to know what you have for us. Please give us a humble heart as we not following our own will, but we're following yours. We will not judge things with the worldly standards or values, but yet we're, spent, we're putting our values in you, doing what you have for us to do, doing what honors you. And pray that everyone here today will take this message in mind and keep it in practice so that they walk with you closer and closer each day. And they will go out and preach the gospel and step into the danger, but knowing that they are in you. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Check back next week for the continuation of Knee Evangelism. God bless.